0: I was in a ballroom getting ready to speak at a conference in Seattle, Washington. It was a family life weekend to remember, so there were, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 people in a ballroom. We'd just gotten done with one session, and everybody was coming back together, and I got up on the podium, and I'm getting ready to go, and I'm calling everyone together like I just did with you, and there's a guy sitting just a little ways back there, and He's looking at me and he's going like this. He's going, and I'm like, what? And I'm trying to do, you know, I'm like, what kind of sign language is this? And he's he's going like this and he's panicked. And I'm like, are are you, and I'm thinking, is he okay? Pretty quick, he sprints out of his seat, runs up to me, and he says, Carl, your your fly is down. And I'm like, you are a good brother. (laughs) So what's the speaker to do? I turn around, put like a, a, a move on like this to distract out here, you distract. And while you're doing this number right here. And I got everything buttoned up or zipped up as you would have it. And I was off to the races. I feel like I got the bad duty this morning in the word of God of telling you that your zipper's down. (laughs) This is probably one of the toughest messages I've ever had to give in my life. Cut that guy off that's heading for the exits back there, would you? (laughs) But it's so important. The words that I'm going to wade into here in just a moment are probably pretty rarely spoken because they aren't always popular, but they're super important, and if captured with the heart of God, we're going to be okay. We're in a third message, the book of Jude. This series is called Clarity, and you know what I need to do? I'm gonna pray. Father, thank you that you are here. I Thank you for the many that are watching online as we've been noticing lately. Many in India, uh, many in neighboring states, many right here in Chicagoland and around the world. And for all of us, Lord, as we break open your word, we know that it is nourishment for the soul That sometimes our palate isn't used to your word. And eating it can be tough. But Lord, I pray for a special grace to be poured out here today. By the power of your Holy Spirit. Would allow us to witness you at work in our lives. From the bottom of my heart, I pray it. Amen. And Let it be. I want to do a quick review of the last couple of weeks with just a couple of big things. Let me first give you the big issue for Jude. The big issue for Jude is grace was being perverted to justify sin. Let me just camp here for a moment and say this. There was a perversion of grace, and that's a word that's found in the opening few verses. There was a perversion of grace that was twisting grace And it was primarily around sexual sin. And remember, we saw a couple of weeks ago that there were people that were coming into the family of God. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this letter to a large, large audience. In fact, he intended to write them about this common salvation that they held, but now he's got to offer up some tough stuff. And he said that there's people creeping in. What's interesting in the text, the way it describes it is that there's people that even unbeknownst to themselves have perverted grace, twisted grace, and they were in with the body of Christ. They weren't in long because there's always a great divide in the church. We'll be exploring that today. But let me be very clear about grace. Grace is not permission to live as we like. It's the privilege to live as we never could before. I know, and I get this. There's an element of grace that is this incredible backstop for when we find ourselves missing the mark with God. But grace is the power of God to do something in us that we can't do in ourselves. We have to have it to live to function men in order for you to love your wives as christ loved the church if you don't have the power of god's grace and the anointing of the holy spirit you can't love her well it's gimmicks but if the grace of god is tapped into it gives us a supercharged spiritual life to live in this natural realm with an incredible vertical connection and it is profound If we understand grace and live in it, it will drive us to love people with a radical love that Jesus modeled. The passage today starts off with these words from Jude, two words, and I've titled the message this today, but you, but you. How easy is it to look at the world that we live in and go, them. Look at those guys, God. Look at this. Look where we are. But Jude, in the backdrop of some twisted grace that was being manifested in a sensuality or sexuality that was anything but what God wanted for them, ultimately says, But you. Today's message won't have a concluding turning point at the end as it normally does. This is a message filled with application from beginning to end. you got a lot of application points here today. I don't know that there's seven verses in the Bible that are more packed in with application. It's almost like there's this powder that's been packed into these seven verses. And I mean, it is, I think, the most densely Populated seven verses in the New Testament with direct application points. I mean, it just bang, bang, bang keeps coming at us. By God's grace, we can apply it. But the primary issue being dealt with that Jude is really putting his finger on the pulse of is twisted grace that often manifests itself in a twisted sexuality. I want to be very careful with these next words that I'm going to say because I need you to hear my heart behind all of it. But whether we see pastors who have a total collapse because they've committed an immoral act and they've cheated on a wife and cheated on God and cheated on their congregation and been sleeping around spiritually and physically that never just happens remember what I told you two weeks ago if you were here Howard Hendricks says there's no such thing as a blowout it's always a slow leak boy Howie was right these things happen this is why the those that had crept in among us it was probably unbeknownst to them that they were even part of the problem but a slow leak can happen and it can be injurious to us and those that we love In 2015, Obergfell versus Hodges went before the Supreme Court. And as a result of the Supreme Court ruling, homosexuality and homosexual marriage was authorized and normalized in the United States of America for the very first time. How quickly we moved. And these things happen at light speed. I, I just want to appeal back to the days seems just like yesterday, when Barack Obama was a- appealing for voters around the nation. He, he declared unequivocally that a marriage is still between a husband and wife. It was common. It was understood. Now my personal conviction is that behind all of these things are spiritual forces at work that are trying to confuse and complicate. But the intention was never to normalize marriage as much as it was to begin to normalize an expression of sexuality or sensuality that is missing the mark of God's greater gift for every man and woman. I know this is emotionally charged. We have people in this room that may even have people that they love who you feel the pain and you see that and you've maybe gotten past the kind of the church embarrassment which is a horrible thing and now you pray and you long for that person to see what is healthy and right. Even me saying these words this morning seems almost crazy to say them because we live in a world that was 2015. What an amazing thing has happened. In just 2014, it was just common expression and you didn't have to be a churchgoer to know that the healthiest environment for a boy or girl to raise be raised up in is a nuclear family where although imperfect there's a loving father and a mother caring for that child. We don't have any data on the downstream effects of homes that don't have a father or a mother. Except that we do from broken heterosexual marriages and the stats don't lie. It's grievous. Do you know that broken homes produce a number of people that are more likely to go to prison than graduate from college? That is an accurate statistic that came out here in the last year. And some of you are sitting here today going, Carl, man, I feel like you're prophesying doom over my home, a single mom or a single dad. No. Our God is so amazing and so gracious that our Heavenly Father can reach out with love and compassion and nurture and foster and feed. And is it important to get a male presence in especially a young boy's life as they're growing up? Oh, stats don't lie. It's vitally important. But what seemed normal nine years ago is now seen as bigoted today. Today. Barack Obama would be called a bigot if he were to campaign as he did not too many years ago. Whoa. I asked someone recently who's of a progressive bent, I said, Do you hold out the possibility that maybe we can progress beyond ourselves and it actually becomes cultural digression? He said, Maybe. You know, we say we love the sinner, but hate the sin. One of the greatest enemies to the nuclear family is oftentimes Christians. We undermine our arguments. We underscore the fact that the perception is often accurate in the world today, that Christians are just angry, mean, bigoted people we have to be so careful. There is no politician, there is no political party that can turn our nation around. We need Jesus. We need light to shine in the darkness. But on this issue of loving the sinner and hating the sin, we've all heard it. But I think in reality, what we've done is that we, we hate the sin and we tolerate or secretly despise the sinner. It's just this last week that I co-host on a radio show that I host from 5 to 9 on Moody Radio every week and after the stats we saw, I'm presuming now not everybody knows I host a radio show, and that's quite alright. Allie spoke up. In fact, she told me during a song, she said, Carl, I gotta share with the audience something I said go girl Mike's came hot and she said you know I heard a speaker at my church recently who said speaking of this hate the sin love the sinner said we miss it so big time we don't know what love is but he said let me give you a metaphor to describe whether or not and measure whether or not you are really loving people like you claim to be he said if we can see sin as a cancer that's ravaging one's body and we see that it is taking a person down it will foster a love for that person that is carrying that cancer like you can't believe as a matter of fact the more extreme the cancer the greater love we have for that person, you say, Carl, do you know that to be true? I know that to be true. It was just a few years ago now that my wife was diagnosed with cancer. I love my wife. I get the best pride in the world for me. She's an incredible helpmate, man. She sets me straight all the time. She's an encouragement can't imagine life without my bride." And when she came back to the table on a date night that we were on and said, "Hey, it's, it's a doctor, and she just talked with me and she wants to talk with you." The blood ran out of my arms. I grabbed the phone, I said, "What's up, Doc?" She says, "Your wife has ovarian cancer." And it's a big mass. My wife was an incredible woman who leaned into God. Only one time in the entryway of our home did I see one tear come down her face. Other than that, the whole time she said, I am trusting God. Come what may, I'm trusting God. God by his grace allowed us to get with a very good position at University of Chicago. I sat in that room waiting alone after the operation was done and Dr. Lingell, the thick German accent, walked into the room and he said, I was hoping it wasn't cancer, but it is. But, I don't know what's going on, but all these cells are totally encapsulated like they can't get out of this mass. He later found out that there was no evidence of any traces of cancer anywhere in what they call the wash or all the biopsies that had been performed while they were in my wife working on her. And it was just about eight months ago now, we were at University of Chicago. At about a two-year mark, Dr. Lingell said again, he said, young lady, I told you when I met you, you don't look like cancer. Which I thought at the time, that's an interesting prognosis for a guy that's trained. He looks at a woman and says, yeah, you don't look like cancer. And he said, that's because you aren't cancer. Go live your life. You have no cancer. My wife facing cancer gave me a holy hatred for cancer and a boiling love for my bride. Men and women, listen to me. Woe be it to us to take a stand against anything without being radically in love and for the person That is carrying that thing. Angry Christianity needs to die. This angry evangelical strong words are coming to my heart. Needs to die. I know. It is so easy to look at people and demonize people, but do you forget that we've been saved by the grace of God and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God so that we can't boast, how dare we be angry evangelicals? And I'm saying that to myself. On any issue. Can I say this? our zippers down. Our zippers down. And God is calling to us today. (laughs) Get your zipper up. You're about to embarrass yourself. we can do it. There are three battlefronts the church will face in the last days. These seven verses deal with battlefronts that we're going to face. They're coming at us. There's no way to avoid them. And yet he says... But you, but you, but you. See, the healthiest judgment in this world begins in the household of God. Right here. The more we can get sharpened and built up around the grace of God, the more we'll be believable to the world around us. So I'm going to give you these three battle fronts. And we're just going to walk through some practical application. Battlefront number one are spiritual pretenders who leverage grace to live as they like. Look at June, Jude 17 through 19. Look at these words. But you must remember, but you must remember, beloved. The predictions of the apostles, our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, quote, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So let me move quickly into four identifying markers of a pretender. Now let me be very clear with this because the scripture is clear and we need to go earlier to the front part of Jude to understand what's going on here. These are not people who have ever claimed to be in the faith. These are people who have claimed to be in the faith. And we find that in last days, and I happen to believe that we are clearly in the last days, it has nothing to do with what we're going through in America. It has to do with what's going on geopolitically in Israel. talked to a good friend of mine in israel yesterday morning omar eshel and i said what's going on over there he says it's dicey world opinion is changing quickly and if we don't deal with the hamas quickly we're going to be we're going to be marginalized and and they're going to be resurrected again i mean the beat goes on but we know in scripture you just look at daniel chapter 9 and you can find that there will be no peace in israel until the antichrist comes and the antichrist is going to rise up a reconstituted roman empire and he's going to be a sharp looking clear speaking catalyzing power and he will stand before the nations and he will strike a a peace deal in the middle east that all of the middle east and israel will buy into mark it down I can promise you right now there will be no peace deal that provides peace in Israel until the Antichrist comes. That will last for three and a half years, and then the jig will be up on that. Because then he will show himself to be what he is, and he will set himself up as king of the world, and he will begin to take down everything that is breathing, that is righteous, that he possibly can live in an ugly world so the identifying marks of a pretender are those that are on the fringes or inside the church or even making their way out and I can look as we will here for a moment at how this is even happening in the church in America today but let's just pick these off scoffers what does this mean you've heard the term scoff it's like someone oh somebody tells you a story and you scoff at that directly translated is that there is a disregard for anything they don't like even if it's in the word of god you might have heard of the red letter project that was done here about i think that's probably been 15 years ago now where theologians mind you liberal theologians got together and they determined what jesus actually said amazingly the only thing that was left was Only those passages of scripture that didn't risk bumping their cup. Anything that was an affront to them or anything that didn't jive with their theology, they took a razor knife and cut that stuff out. Scoffing at any theology that challenges their adopted pathology is something that we're seeing all the time people create a pathology a way in which we live and then they cut out theology to fit their pathology we can't do that theology trumps pathology all day long how do i know that because sometimes i go to the word of god and i'm looking for an escape hatch I don't do it now, but early in my faith I did. I'm like, I'm looking around in here for something that's going to legitimize my inability to bow a humble knee before God in a certain area of my life. That's dangerous. And any subtle scoffing that we have in this room today when we read the word of God and want to disregard that, I'll apply this next one, but that one's too heavy for me. This is what you can hear in the spiritual realm a slow leak dividers it's tough mainline churches are splitting over human sexuality and what constitutes a family and in the last few years it's going like crazy I feel it important to tell you right now that we are always going to stand on the authoritative word of God no matter how hard it hurts knowing that the bread of life said chew on this and you will be nourished can't get weak in the knees because it's this that gives us strength and vitality and hope but dividers are all over even in the united states of america today i got a friend who pastored a megachurch in falls church virginia dynamic guy promise keeper speaker for a lot of years i mean was leading a movement in falls church virginia had a phenomenal church in a denomination that started getting weak in the knees around the issues of sexuality and what constitutes a family they're blowing up the nuclear family and my friend with his elders said we can't go that way the denomination said then you're giving us our church back He said, We built this church. All these people that are here gave sacrificial offerings to build this campus that is one of the most beautiful campuses in D.C. They said, You're out. He said, All right. I'm not going to capitulate the truth. We'll leave. He went to a high school. With about 2,500 people. And what was left behind in that cavernous church were about 40 people. But they lost the church. But they did not lose the body of Christ. That's the point. Now, you hear that, be careful. You know what's going on inside you? Those dirty (laughs) rottens. You see, grace says, "Who carrying cancer. I gotta love them. Worldly. What in the world does worldly mean? Be in the world, but not of the world. But what's worldly mean? I mean, when I was a kid growing up, we had people that twisted this one big time. It's like you can't you can't drink, dance, or chew, or go with girls that do, you know, the old line. That's way different than that. Worldly is to be bound by the constraints of earth. There's no vertical connection. James, the the full brother of Jude said this worldly mindset gives birth to disorder and every evil practice. That's what he said. This same Greek word the brother used to say, the wheels come off every time we go here with this worldly stuff. Maybe the biggest thing is without the spirit. Without the spirit. Without conviction, correction, and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And you know what's amazing? We're gonna see here in a moment that the flip side is true because what we're looking at here in these three kind of battle fronts is the, me, and we. And when it comes to me and we, we gotta have the Holy Spirit. But what's going on here? These guys that are cutting out the Word of God to fit what they want it to fit, there is no vertical connection with the Holy Spirit. He is not at work or operating in their life. The only consolation in that is that they can teach and preach all they want, but there's no unction of the Holy Spirit. I'm seeing people getting bundled up like it's below zero in here. You might want to kick on the heater, guys. So we've got an opportunity to see what's going on with pretenders, scoffers, dividers, worldly, without the Holy Spirit. But let's go to battlefront number two battlefront number two is the me this is me disciples of christ who need to get built strong in faith look at that again disciples of christ who need to get built strong in faith jude in just a few verses here is going from the to me we'll get to the we but this is the me jude 20 and 21 look at what we find here but you here we go beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit I'll explain giving yourselves in the love of God oh mark this in your mind and if you got a Bible mark it down waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life so I've got three points of application for you personally this morning three areas of focus this is the holy trinity remember we saw this in week one right at the front end now we see it here we got the father son and holy spirit but in reverse order look at what jude says he says praying in the holy spirit martin lloyd jones says this you want to know how you're not praying in the holy spirit this is martin lloyd jones we all know what it is to feel deadness in prayer difficulty in prayer, to be tongue-tied with nothing nothing to say, as it were, having to force ourselves to try. Well, to the extent that that is true of us, we are not praying in the Spirit. Now, I want us to sit there for a moment. Because I think a lot of us approach prayer in a very perfunctory way. And when we talk about the power of prayer or someone's appealing to you, man, you can't believe what it's like to pray and see what God's doing. It maybe feels like a cold frost over you because you aren't experiencing that god can fix that but let me just tell you what the lord's doing in pastor carl's heart i am praying expectantly probably largely related to what my bride went through and a few other things i am praying expectantly like i've never prayed before in my life i'm praying for you in the middle of the night, like I've never prayed before in my life. I have a holy expectation that God is fixing to do something. Little Southern lingo for some of you in here. <laughs> Praying in the Spirit, Martin Lloyd Lloyd Jones says, has three aspects. They won't be on your screen, but just mark them in your head or on paper. Admitting our inability, he says, is first and foremost. Do you know who can apply to powerful prayer? Those who recognize, I got nothing. I got nothing. It's an awesome thing when you realize, oh, I've been in Christ a lot of years. I've been a pastor. I've done all this. And then you pray in a group. Some of you have seen this happen before. And you pray a prayer, and it's what Martin Luther says, you're praying a cold frost over your listeners. And then you hear someone else pray. And they don't have what you have. They don't have the education. They don't have this. They don't have that. But when they pray, you are hearing them touch heaven. And it is awe-inspiring. Admitting our inability, enjoying the creation of living communion with God and pleading God's promises with boldness and total assurance. I pre-recorded a piece with a leader from the Asbury Revival. You guys haven't heard it that listened to a morning show that I host, but you'll hear it in about a week and a half. And in it, it was absolutely amazing. I'm listening to um, a doctor of education who she works with the students at Asbury. She watched the whole thing go down. At one point on the interview, I said, okay, I got to ask you, was there something embedded in Asbury that we need here? I, why did God choose to visit Asbury? She had an immediate response, and I've got the quote for you right here. Are you ready for it? She said, Carl, Revival broke out that day on that campus for one reason. Leading up to that day, we had had great chapels where we would linger before the Lord. But there was her words, a holy imagination that God would move in power. A holy imagination that God would move in power. Don't you want that? Don't we need that? A holy imagination that we're not just gonna go to church, but we're gonna be the church and we're gonna watch heaven come down. We're gonna watch people get filled with the Holy Ghost. Not for personal exploits or for shiny new gifts, but to walk in power and to love the world and to see cancer and to care for the carriers and all that stuff. A holy imagination that God would move in power, kept in God's love. And this is an interesting one. You know how I stayed close to my dad. My dad had a beautifully organized garage. So beautifully organized. Vice grips, wrenches, saws, all had black felt marker outlines to help his son know exactly where to put that sucker back. His son had a spiritual gift of not doing it. I would take those things off. I'd go out. I'm building go-karts. I'm working on Briggs and Stratton Motors. I'm doing all this stuff. We're having a ball. I mean, I'm doing stuff. Dad would walk downstairs and go, where's my vice grips? They are not, no, they aren't on the thing. Let me go get them. Go outside. Got them. Oh, no. They're rusted. All of a sudden, WD-40. Shh spraying it all over that sucker, wiping it down. He goes, you spraying WD-40 on the rusted vice grips? (laughs) (sighs) Oh, just a little bit, Dad. Dad asked one thing of me. Put the tools back on the board. And it wasn't that Dad loved me any less, but it kept me in God's love, Dad's love. You see, when we see the word of God and he says, let's do this. Here's the outline for the wrench. Here's the outline for the saw. Let's let's do that. It's not that God's love is gone. It's that you look up at your life and go, oh, there's like a body outline on the wall here. And I lost it. God says, when you open the Word of God, you read something, don't cut it out. Like a liberal theologian, apply it, and you will stay kept in God's love. Waiting for Jesus Christ, my favorite one. You say, Pastor Carl, do you ever have new discoveries? All the time. Can I tell you a secret about me? My poor wife. I'll be up studying. Thank the Lord. My, my study is way up in a kind of a crow's nest, and I do have a cool situation. I've got a little study up there, and I can broadcast from there. I can do all this stuff, and I can pull open a sliding glass door and walk out onto a rooftop deck. How about them apples? I can burn my Swedish body to a crisp if I want to in the summer. <laughs> so I don't. And sometimes I'm reading the Word of God, and I will do this. Hang on. I'll, I'll protect the microphone. Woo! Woo! I do it. Yeah. You can crank it back up. There we go. <laughs> I will go nuts over fresh discoveries of the word of God. Or when I don't yell and I'm trying to kind of constrain it, I do one other thing. It's really funny. <laughs> odd, odd, very self-deprecating humor here. I rub my hands together, and I'm studying the word, and I'm finding something, and I'm doing this, and she can hear it, and she goes, you found something in the word, didn't you? So embarrassing, grown man, rubbed my hands together upstairs, my wife's going, you found something, didn't you, Bob? And I'm like, yeah, I did. Listen to me. I found something here, and it's called waiting for Jesus Christ this last week. I was preparing actually for this last week a weekend ago on radio and I was in Titus 2, 11 and 12. And this is what it says, that the grace of God has come and the grace of God saves us and the grace of God trains us to do a few things. Number one, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's saying no to this stuff. All right, not gonna elaborate on that not only to renounce those things, but let me give you the exact words, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So I went Tuesday, renounce. Wednesday, live upright, godly lives in this present age. Thursday, waiting for the master, Jesus Christ, to return. And some of you have underestimated the value of the spiritual discipline of waiting for Jesus. I got a question for you. What are you waiting for? You know what some of you are waiting for? The next bump at work. You're waiting for retirement. You're waiting for a two week vacation. You're waiting for a wayward kid to get home waiting for all these things i'm telling you right now here's the problem those are awesome things but if that's all you're waiting for if it happens to arrive you're going to be back in the same soup and i'm telling you right now when we are waiting for jesus christ expectantly all that we've been waiting for here on earth gets in a really healthy place and here's why i've seen it over and over again i saw it in my life one time i'm busting tail we like went probably a couple of years when i thought it was kind of noble and the tyranny of the urgent of a church that was just booming in growth in alaska and so i bailed my wife would tell you she green-lighted it with me she's like oh we gotta stick around there's just too much going on and we forgotten our vacation for two years and then we went on one and i started getting all amped up for that vacation i'm so fired up man we're going on vacation we're going to mexico i'm gonna hang out my swedish body and we're gonna come back fried (laughs) and that vacation didn't fix anything but you know what i've found The only way to wait for retirement or to wait for that bump in pay or to wait for Prince Charming or to wait for fill in the blank is be waiting on Jesus because that waiting will never disappoint in one day he's coming to take us home. And the more we're waiting for that, the greater living we're going to have here. Battlefront number three. Battlefront number three is a tough one. God's kids who are spiritually at risk and in need of mercy. I want to be accurate to the text here. I absolutely believe that these are born-again people who are at dangerous risk spiritually. We're going to break it down for you here. Look at what we find. Jude 22 through 23. Third one. So we've gone, let me just go through it here. The, me, and now we're in the we. You know that we're the body of Christ, right? We need each other. I know it's easy to come and attend and then walk out. We need each other. That's why I'm so thrilled with what God's doing in T7R right now. This is awesome. I'm hearing stories of vulnerability and honesty that people have never seen before praise God for that so here we go and have mercy on those who doubt save others by snatching them out of the fire what to others show mercy and fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh let me explain this before we leave this slide this is very important In the culture of that time, there would have been outer garments and there would have been inner garments. What's being spoken of here is an inner garment that's kind of, they haven't showered spiritually. It's kind of getting, it's like, boy, it's like the guy raising the kid. You told that boy when you were raising him, I need you to shower. I did, mom, when? Last week. You know, spiritually speaking, there's some of us that showered a month ago or two months ago. And what that creates is an undergarment that ain't good. And that's what's going on here. There's three kinds of people who need mercy. Let me give them to you right now. One, doubters. Don't talk doubters out of their doubting. Jesus never did. Rebels warn them but doubting no way doubting is not to be feared it should be embraced i used to be a person that didn't if i got into an issue with someone i wanted to quickly talk them out of it they got a problem with let's say canon initiative scripture how do we know that this bible is the bible and there's great answers for this but if you try to give the, the quick you got to by faith just embrace it and you're panicking because it's your kid don't you know and it's like oh no Don't ignore their doubts. Embrace them. Embrace them. If our God can't withstand a little bit of investigation, then we all need to get up and out of here right now. He can. And how do we know the heart of God for doubters? What did Jesus say to Thomas? Who, by the way, for the record... I am convinced when I get to go to heaven and I get to go see the disciples, and I'm going to say, hey, Thomas was the one that was doubting. Was he covered for you ever? I think some of them are going to say, yeah, I was doubting Ray right with him. Man, I just didn't say it. You know what I mean? You ever had the doubter in the room? You're going, glad they asked it. <laughs> it's okay. He said, hey, look at my hands, Thomas. Touch them. Look at there. You see that? Thomas said, Yeah, man, you're real. You're alive, aren't you, Jesus? Yeah. Power, man. Second, I'm calling them firewalkers. This is not in an India version of firewalking, but it's a great metaphor. Ever seen firewalkers before? My bride and I have in South Africa we went to an Indian comedy festival and I saw people that were otherwise right-minded business leaders and women in the marketplace and I saw them put hooks through their back no joking hooks through their back not one or two six seven or eight hooked to strings and they would pull those carts down the streets while people are chanting for them and the flesh is just coming off their backs because those carts are heavy and I'm like, whoa. And then they walk down to walk over, walking over the coals. And if you don't understand that we live in a supernatural world where demons can mimic the power of God, you are blind. It's everywhere. And we watch these people walking across coals. And I'm like, that ain't happening. Well, what Jude says in this text is, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. It's like you got coal walkers around you, fire walkers, and we're supposed to go in and grab them up. What does this mean? Let me illustrate it for you this way. There's some people that you know are doubters. This is why I get so fired up. Do you know how many people are just looking for someone to go? would you dare to believe with me again? I know you're doubting, and I don't blame you, but let's go. Then you got firewalkers, and it's people that are just doing blatantly crazy stuff. They're in Christ. They might be young in the faith, but they're doing stuff that's just nuts, and you got to go with them and help them. Someone very near and dear to me was hooked on Adderall. You know what Adderall is? Adderall is legal speed, and it is killing the tech community right now. My son's in the tech community in Miami. My daughter's in the tech community in Chicago. You know what my son tells me? Dad, I would estimate nine out of ten tech founders are absolutely hooked on Adderall, hitting high doses, 40 milligrams of this stuff. It's speed, people. It's speed, and it's destroying lives left and right. This person I love, he got hooked on it. He said, I'm hooked on this stuff. I said, well, let me come by your house and help you out. I said, what do you want to do? He says, I'm getting off this stuff right now. All right, let's do it. How are we going to do this? He said, I'm going to throw it all in the trash right now, every bit of it. I said, great, hallelujah. Next day, he called me up. I got a problem I said what's going on what's what's the problem what you got going on he said I'm dying right now man I said let me help you after a little bit of research I found out it's probably not best to quit cold turkey when you've been on like 20 milligrams of Adderall and I went to his home we went into a big green trash bin dumped it over put it on the garage floor We weeded through all the trash, and I could find about 10, 15 Adderall pills. And I lovingly took them up to the kitchen, and I rinsed them, and I washed them off. We broke them up. We said, let's just wean off this stuff rather than trying to go cold turkey. And that man is walking in absolute victory today. It means you get into the fire, man. Angry Christians, you know what they do? They sit back and go, yeah, guy's strung out on Adderall. What a putt. No, man. No, we say, I'm getting in the garbage with you. I'm getting in the fire. We're going to get a victory here. God can do it. Last one is closet compromisers. There's a certain amount of our brethren who are dying alone. Their outer garments look good, but their inner garments, they're soiled, man. They haven't had a spiritual shower in a couple of months. Stanky. They keep putting on enough cologne or perfume that it kind of masks it. You know what love demands? Not so much for the these. Notice Jude didn't say too much to do with the these. They're just there, man. Slowly, but the me's, yeah. And then the wheeze, the wees We have enough love to go up and go, man, you got any inner garment problems going on? Are you hiding out? I know what's happening in this room. I'm not stupid. But I want you to know that the grace of God has all the power you need, not the permission to live as you like. But the permission to live as you never could before. And he loves you. But you. But you. How about you? How we doing? I just want Jay up here right now. I want everyone to close your eyes and bow your head. I want no one looking around. And I'm just going to run you through a few questions I have for you here. What battlefront are you on? Could it be that maybe we have a spiritual pretender among us who does not understand grace? Grace? And you're leveraging it in a way that you're living recklessly and you know it. And God's saying, stop. If that's you right now, there is no one looking around in here. No one at the back table. No one's looking. Just look up at me and just get my attention and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me today. Come on. Let's have the boldness here. Right there, bro. Right on. Anyone else? Yep, ma'am. Yep, sir. Anyone else? Those of you online? I see you. I know you. And I love you. And God loves you. Who's right in the middle of the second battlefront? You're a disciple of Christ who needs to get built strong in the faith. You need to start praying in the Holy Spirit. You need a holy imagination that God would move in power, kept in God's love. You need to start obeying things that you know. You know what Scripture is so clear? He who knows what is right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Put the tool back. You need prayer for that today? If that's you, you know you're a disciple, but you know there's some things that God's calling you to do. Just look up at me right now. I'll catch eye contact with you right on, all over here all over here. Praise God. Oh, man. All over here. Yeah. That's awesome, guys. This is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome for the the whole room. And then who wants to roll up their sleeves to the glory of God and Look at God's kids are spiritually at risk and in need of mercy. I'm not even going to ask you to look up at this one. I'm going to call you up. I'm asking you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in powerful ways. Powerful ways. Oh Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for your word. Your extravagant love that you showed us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And oh, oh how I ask over these precious people in front of me today, Spirit of God, move. stand and You go he does guys he does Nothing can-
1: to do life together. And if you visited us again today, this is your first On your way out, please stop here. This section, we got something we just want to put in your hands. We want to be together. And so in being together, that's not something we just start and then stop doing. I mean, boy, that's where we want to continue to win this battle. And so a few things, just want to make sure you're aware of on your way out. Men, specifically, March 9th, coming up, just hold that thought in your head. We're going to come together for an event called Galvanize, where we are locking our hearts and arms together. And uh, it's gonna be right here in this room, starting at 8 a.m. Pastor Carl will be here. Dr. Gary Rosberg, who's also known as America's Family Coach. Tell you what, those two men are gonna be leading us, I believe, in a very powerful morning. And so mark your calendars. March 8th, we wanna do that. We're looking, March 9th, excuse me, 8 a.m. We wanna do that, March 9th, 8 a.m. And so uh, make sure that happens. And then, you know what? Someone had said to this to me recently. They said, you know, until I really understood what it was meant to serve in the church and be part, I never really feel like it was part of my church. just kind of felt like I was on the outside. And so we want to encourage you. We want to help you take your next step in serving other people. So on your way out, also at the info in the back, there's a place for you to sign up to do that. You can scan that QR code. There's also people that can just help you understand what that looks like for you to do. But we want to do this together. And uh, one very specific way, tell you what, we're so excited. Uh, We're going to be starting a lot of great things with 180 kids. And so you have a heart for kids to serve in any capacity. Faith Manguba, our Children's 180 director, she's going to be in the back left over there, right by the sound booth uh, after the service. And if that's been something that God's been stirring on your heart, and we're trusting that God has been doing that, but when you to respond to that and just get a chance. We're going to have a very brief meeting. we we'll talk about a few things of what we're going to be doing to together really make a difference in that area in the life of our church. So 180
0: kids there in the back. Pastor Crow? Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you holy before an amazing God, may that God give you peace today. Have a great day.